Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Hello, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Uh, we have a great show lined up tonight with uh, the filmmaker from Iran is not the problem. Uh, Tonight, uh, once again, actually, we've had a great uh, list of shows recently uh, bringing on filmmakers. It's almost been kind of a series about filmmakers and one author. Well, he was also technically a filmmaker. Um, I hope you've been enjoying these shows. Uh, We had five of them this month. um, And I want to thank you guys once again for coming together on the donations to help keep me radio on the air. Um, And uh, tonight, uh, my guest is, as I said, the filmmaker from Iran is not the problem. I'm sure many of you have seen this film. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. You know, say hello to my uh, listeners and uh, tell them who you are and tell them what you do. Hi, uh, my name is Aaron Newman, and as Neil mentioned, I'm a filmmaker in San Francisco, and I made the film Iran is not the problem, and uh, hello to all you listeners out there. So, um, as is typically tradition when I bring on a new guest, I, I tend to ask them, um, at what point in your life uh, did you become involved in activism? Uh, was, it, was it with this movie, or you know, was it before that? Did your parents raise you into it, or was there some kind of turning point in your life when you started to rec- you know, think about these things that don't end up on CNN? Uh, there was definitely a turning point. Um, I was definitely... Didn't I didn't grow up in a political household. Politics was never talked about, and um, it was actually it was it was fairly recent. It was in 2003, so seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, the Iraq War was was starting, and uh, all my friends were really concerned about it, and I was living in a in a different world. I was, you know, completely oblivious to what was going on and it got to the point where uh, I just couldn't ignore it anymore and I had to learn what was going on and uh decide where I stood on the issues. And uh the more I learned the more the more I decided I had to do something about it. I had to um be part of the solution, not just somebody who's standing by and letting things happen. Can you think of any one piece of information, maybe any catalyst, like, you know, the one thing that kind of pushed you over the edge into activism? Well, what actually pushed me into activism was seeing a documentary film, which is one of the reasons why I went into documentary film making, uh, because it was so influential, the film Manufacturing Consent, um, which which really highlighted for me the uh, sort of the propaganda system that that we live under and how information is misrepresented in order to get compliance with um, policies that are not really serving the best interests of the people of the world but are serving the best interests of uh, you know elites and people with money power and privilege uh, so that movie really opened my eyes and, and was a rallying call for me to find, figure out what can I do to, first of all, learn more about um, you know, sort of undoing the assumptions that I had running through my head from just growing up in, in uh, America and 
the educational system and watching TV, um, and then figuring out, well, what do I do next? How can how can I make a difference? Because I feel compelled to do that. Well, that's excellent. Um, actually, I, as I revealed last night, I think the moment for me the, specifically was when a friend of mine linked uh, one of Ron Paul's segments during the debate uh, where he was saying that they don't attack us because we are free. They attack us because we invade their countries and we bomb them. And he actually mentioned um, at some point during the course of his campaign uh, our intervention in Iran when we installed the Shah. Um, mm -hmm. And I looked that up further. And uh, I actually ended up kind of on the other side of the aisle towards the end of it, though, because uh, I worked with Senator Mike Gravel in his campaign. I was actually very pleased to, to see that there was a quote from something that Gravel said uh, in your film, because you had listed, you know, you said all the Democrats agreed about Iran, and then, you know, and then later on, the, one of your guests kind of corrected that, because the first thing that popped in my head was like, hey, there was one Democrat who thought it was the best in the beginning. Um, right. And uh, he actually uh, kind of kicked Hillary in the um, proverbial uh, jimmy, so to speak, with that issue, because she had claimed she was an anti-war candidate and then had voted for whatever resolution it was that would have allowed Bush to attack Iran. Um, but anyway, uh, let's just say, uh, overall, rewatching your film, especially, there was a lot of really important information in there that I think should be um, shared with everybody. And um, it, it's actually really shocked me how little I knew about the situation. I had watched the patterns with Iraq, and was thinking to myself, as I went back and watched really old uh, YouTubes of various congressmen, of course, Ron Paul, Dennis Kucinich, talking about um, Iraq, and then now, all those same arguments are being made, you know, about Iran. Uh, and it's, it's funny to me that, you know, even though the American public does not support the war in Iraq, at least not the majority, there are some of them are still getting snowed in. It's like their memory is so short. They're forgetting that we're just going through all of this all over again. But if it's, you know, in making the film, uh, did, did you come across, like, you know, just like what kind of resistance have you had to what it is you're pointing out? And, you know, has it astonished you how really in the dark, you know, the American people are about this, or do you feel that they're really starting to get it? Well, um, first thing uh, I wanted to say about the film was that, uh, just as a comment on what you were talking about with Mike Gravel and uh, that somebody later in the film corrected what was stated earlier, for anybody who's watched the film or who's going to watch the film, there are different points of view that are in the film. So the, I, I tried to collect, uh, I tried to collect as many different perspectives as I could that were on the side of saying, "Hey, this is wrong." But you know, from that perspective, there were, um, you know, there were people who were on the left. There were people who were would consider themselves, uh, you know, every different form of of radical or reformist, uh, you know, libertarian, uh, leftist, uh, communist. It was, it was a, I tried to incorporate all perspectives um, and, and say that up front in the movie. So uh, that's why you would hear, you know, one person saying something and then somebody else correcting it later. So I, I tried to uh, intentionally do that because it's not, uh, it's, it's not an issue of one you know, it's, it's, it's not an issue for one perspective or another. It's, it's basically uh, most people who are on the side of justice uh, feel that 
escalating things with Iran is wrong. And, you know, to, to answer your question about... Um, answer your question about are most people in the dark? You know, I, don't, I really don't know. I've, I've read so many different, uh, so many different uh, polls on where people stand, and uh, it was hard to really get a, a single truth about where do people stand on this. I, I mean, I think that um, it's much easier to figure out what people who are in power, what you know, where they stand on it um, and where people outside of our country because everybody's so uniformly against it uh, where they stand on it but within the US it's it's just it's very difficult I mean in my personal life I meet people all the time uh, who you know when when I bring up Iran they just they they feel that um, you know it's, it's a it's just a country that's um, that at some point is is going to be so dangerous that they have to be they have to be attacked and it'll be unfortunate for the people that live there or um, you know that, and that that the government there is uniquely evil and uh, that there's you know there, there's only one way to deal with that type of element. Um, so yeah, I definitely, uh, you know, I, I definitely meet a lot of people who have that perspective, uh, and, and I'll even talk to them about Iraq, and they'll say, yeah, you know, he's an idiot and he lied about things, but uh, Iran is different. Uh, so yeah, I definitely feel that it's out there. It's it's a there's a lot of mythology about Iran that needs to be undone, a lot of debating that needs to be done uh, to correct it. But at the same time, um, you know, the people who I interact with the most, because I'm, uh, you know, because I'm middle class, maybe upper middle class, and and privileged, uh, you know, I, I, most of the people that I come into contact with are the ones who are um, the most uh, targeted in terms of propaganda. The, the, you know, the people who are marginalized by the system, the people who are sort of on the outskirts of how things work in this country, I, I don't know if it's, I, I don't know, you know, if, if those are the people being fooled. Um, I, I think to Orwell and uh, just the model that, that he put there for, uh, for 1984, which I, I think um, it's, it's really interesting that, that you know, he looks at society into, in, in three different tiers, the, the inner party, the outer party, and, and the proles, right? That, you know, the inner party are the elites that are, those are the people that are, are really, um, you know, behind the scenes, uh, and they just, they hold on to all the power. Uh, and that was like 1% of, uh, you know, 1% of Orwell's world. Well, that corresponds really tightly to the the 1% or less than 1% that own most of the wealth in this country, that owns uh, most of everything in the country where things are, you know, it's, you know, power is very tightly concentrated. Um, and I think those are, the, those are the people who are the ones making the decisions uh, and influencing the decisions. And then there's the next 20% down, which is outer party, um, and those are the people who are really the, the most important to uh, 
propagandized. Those are the, those are the people who um, are the ones reading, you know, the reading the New York Times and uh, the people who are the most diligent voters and the people who are supporting the system. Um, neo really <laughs> Uh, I, I would I, I wouldn't just limit it to neoconservative. I, I would right. say it's it's um, it's really the managerial class. You know, it's really uh, people who are in uh, you know largely who are in professional jobs, who are you know tend to either vote Democrat or Republican and tend to really believe what the what the parties tell them to believe. Um, because they really believe in the system, because they're really benefiting from the system. They may not be at that top 1%, but, you know, they have it pretty good. Um, and, the, you know, the 80% that's below that, that's, you know, work, you know, just looking at the U.S., the people that are working in service jobs, the people that are, you know, working, the, you know, the working poor, uh, people who are, you know, really struggling, um, the people who are often dismissed as politically ignorant, those are the people who really don't, in, in general, they don't, um, they, they, they generally believe that, that, you know, we're living in a system that's, that's fairly corrupt. Uh, they don't believe what politicians have to say. They don't believe that politicians are going to make uh, a big difference for them. Uh, they may vote, they may, you know, vote on when a particular issue where they can see relevance to their lives, but those are the people where propaganda doesn't matter as much because they're so desperate uh, and they're they're so um, you know well behaved for the most part because they are desperate that propaganda is not as important. Um, this the system will still go on if, even if they don't believe that um, you know whether or not to support the administration in one policy action or the other. Not to say that they get ignored completely, but I think that um, when I think about your question about well, are most people being fooled by it, uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I, I've never seen polls that really look at, you know, segments of the population and what people believe and what people don't believe. They probably actually wouldn't want that kind of information to really be public knowledge. I mean, they, they hate it whenever we quote the... Uh, approval rating for the war in Iraq. Um. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, I mean, I, I, but I, I do think that since the war in Iraq and since things have gone so, uh, you know, so far, so, you know, so unsuccessful in, in Afghanistan in terms of what they were hoping to do, uh, you know, since there's been so much bloodshed and so much money spent on these wars, there's there's definitely been a a shift in uh, uh, American public opinion about uh, willingness to go to war, um, and um, and I think that that's you know I, I credit the anti-war movement for um, for contributing to that, um, not as much as you know the anti-war movement that's happening in Iraq and Af and Afghanistan by the people who live there, but um, yeah, I, th I think that people are a lot more wary, and the threats have, you know, things have to be put in a lot more stark terms. People really have to feel uh, threatened in order to go along with things. Yeah, that's, you know, we've actually talked a lot about that on various shows, actually, that it's 
to get people out of their shell, like you know, when we were doing the Blue Gold World Water Wars show, we were talking about when are people going to care about that problem. And I'm like, it's probably not going to happen until, you know, the, the rich people get out and, you know, jump on their jet ski and, you know, find that their lake is dried up. You know, yeah. it's, it really, some of these people are just so out of touch. And then, and, and what's even worse is that we, we make politics something you're not allowed to talk about. Um, right. You know, and it, you'd think that, you know, the governing of us as a species would be important enough to talk about. But, you know, the funny thing is, is that you do that supposedly to avoid drama, so to speak, is the word they always use. But, you know, I always tell the story um, about how I was, you know, listening to a friend of mine on a Ventrilo server, a voice chat server, where he and his friends were talking about a video game. And they were flipping out at each other, you know, over World of Warcraft, of all things, just going nuts on one another, grown men cussing at each other, you know, that's important. And I was in that Ventrilo channel one time talking about the war in Iraq, and after I had left, like, uh, they had told my friend, you know, to, you know, that if I was ever to go back there, never to speak about politics ever again, because you know, it was not okay for anybody to ever be upset about, you know, something like, oh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people dying. But it was totally okay for those same, you know, adults to complain that they didn't get some digitized fictional gear that doesn't even tangibly exist. You know, and then you know you've got the the arguments over American Idol, or you know, people are worried about what Britney, what's going on with Britney Spears, but. They, they really go out of their way to make it unfashionable to talk about politics. And, you know, um, I did another show called the, On the Subject of Sheeple, where I played a couple of uh, recordings of various people being um, uh, interviewed and talking to them about what they thought of certain candidates and uh, the kinds of things that they knew, like, for example, about Sarah Palin, were so limited. You know, they just they, they knew they wanted her to be president, knew they wanted her to be president. They were standing outside, actually, in Alaska, waiting to get her their book, you know, get her book signed, you know, yeah. so freezing their butts off in all these, you know, heavy winter clothes, and you ask them things like, you know, so what do you think of her foreign policy? They have no idea. You know, what do you think of her domestic policy? They have no idea. And that's, and in fact, if you start talking about things badly about this candidate that they've idolized, they'll get offended. You know, <laughs> it's, it's so yeah. shallow. It's pretty bad. And, I mean, I think part of the problem is that, um, like you said, you know, limiting people's access to information is part of the point. You know, if, if you give them too much information, they'll be informed, uh, and they may not support you. Uh, if you if you allow them to, you know, if political debate is part of the culture and the the range of debate that's allowed is is extended outside the range that you know, the Democrats and the Republicans consider the, the playing field, uh, then there's too much potential for changing the nature of the politics. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of people who, you know, who, who appreciate the sort of the celebrity culture of it all, they, I, I think that they probably know that it's not... Um, you know, that it's, that it's pretty much a game, you know, that politics is a game, that, um, you know, substantive changes that are in their interests are not going to happen. You know, the politicians are, are really there to preserve the system. I think, I think at, a, at a basic level, people understand that. And so it's almost rational to, to just dismiss it all and just enjoy the entertainment of it. Um, and I, I think that the, the message that 
I would hope that we get out is that um, that you know politicians could be um, subject to to the will of, of the people if the people were um, you know informed themselves and, and developed uh, you know got organized and, and were able to actually accomplish things. So instead, we throw the the bread and circuses at them like the old Roman you know hierarchy did to keep the people quiet and uh, um, entertained while they you know slowly take your you know, rights away. Now, um, yeah. on to the subject of Iran. I I remember um, I I think some of this was touched on in your film, but I also looked at it you know just from my own point of view. And one of the things they were pointing out was that an attack on Iran is not going to be a picnic in comparison to Iraq. You know, people think, oh, well, we can handle Iran, you know, we, we handle Iraq. But the uh, the situation there strategically is very different. It's a, a mountainous region. It would be very hard for us to just to roll in. It's not a big flat desert like Iraq is. Um, and it would require a lot more troops than we possibly have now. That was actually another thing that Senator Mike Gravel pointed out was because he had stopped the draft way back in the Vietnam era, he was a really old man getting back into politics because of stuff that was basically more the same that he had fought against when he was a senator, um, you know, because, you know, he said that we would need a draft to have enough boots to get into Iran um, mm -hmm. because we don't have anywhere near enough troops. It would be a huge undertaking. And, you know, when it's a big mountainous region like that, we're just going to end up in the same kind of quagmire that, you know, we're in in Afghanistan where, the terrain makes it virtually impossible to really win. You know, you can go on forever. You're never going to really win. You might hold territory. You can even win the battles, but it doesn't mean that, you know, a, a resistance force is not always going to be present, you know, prevalent. It's like trying to get cockroaches out of a trailer. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, there's a difference between Iran and Iraq. Iraq was very weak. Uh, you know, it, it had been weakened for years of sanctions. Um, you know, it, it had been disarmed. Um, you know, it, it, that was the reason that we were able to go in, that was, or that they were able to go in, was because it was weak. Um, and um, that's probably one of the main reasons that, uh, you know, that there hasn't been an attack on Iran, was because uh, it just it wouldn't be a cakewalk. <laughs> I mean, and and obviously Iraq uh, turned out not the way that it's uh, not as easy as as everybody said it was going to be. And probably, uh, you know, there was a lot of bumbling. It could have they they could have more swiftly and easily done what you know what they had set out to do. Um, but they know that um, that it. Uh, Iran has a lot of uh, a lot of power in the region, and you know, one of the things I detail in the movie is what their options would be if they were attacked. Um, and uh, you know, first of all, I want to say that that the the movie does not argue that they will be attacked, that that there will be an attack on Iran, Iran uh, beyond the the existing attacks that of of sanctions and uh, funding uh, groups within Iran right now to to cause problems in internally, um, uh, and and border groups um, that that are causing turbulence on the borders. But um, you know that said, the movie goes into into detail of what uh, what Iran could do in its defense that the U.S. would not be happy. There's a lot of influence in Afghanistan, a lot of influence in Iraq. 
and uh, Lebanon. Uh, there's a lot of things that they could do to make it difficult um, and to, to really make it a multi-front war um, in, in much more intensity than, than the U.S. is already taking place, you know, it's already happening right now, as well as, you know, shutting off the oil supply. Um, you know, it, the, the, the ripple effects of, of going to war would be, would be pretty catastrophic for everybody involved. So I think that um, the, the madmen that are really, that, that actually are planning to go to war, that are advocating to go to war, um, which are fewer than they were in the uh, Bush administration, but they're still there in the Obama administration. Uh, you know, they 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 still needs the stakes need to be higher, and um, there there needs to be the situation really needs to be drastic in order for that uh, for that attack to happen. But whether an attack, uh, you know, whether a, a an American or an Israeli attack happens. There's, you know, we're we're still at war with Iran right now. We're we're at war with sanctions. We're at war with funding, uh, you know, funding groups in Iran, and um, and we're at war because um, of our occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, that's you know, and it's interesting because. Um a lot of the, like I had said earlier to you actually before we got on the air, I, I once got contacted by somebody from Iran, uh, Iran, and um, they had, I guess, were listening to my radio show. I, you know, I guess it's difficult. Supposedly there's a lot of limitations on the internet over there. Is that all bunk or is that real? I don't know if you would know, but uh, that they, they supposedly um, cut off the internet over there. I, d I don't know the specifics on that. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, the the government in Iran is not a government I'd want to live under. I, I, the, in the movie, we're definitely not, uh, we're not trying to uh, advocate that, that there's freedom inside Iran or that, that the, the government is good for its own people. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know uh, what specific censorship is happening in Iran right now. I know that um, I know that this movie has been seen in Iran quite a bit. Um, and do, fact, do you have any information on the reaction? You know, there was there was actually one screening in Tehran, and it was a secret screening that that had um, a, a lot of diplomats that attended it, and and I was given a recording of the um, of the discussion that happened afterwards. Uh, and it wasn't all diplomats. I should say it was, a, it was a mixture of people. But there was a um, there was a screening, and um, it was interesting. There was there was definitely mixed reactions to it. Uh, you know, there's so much hatred of of their own government within Iran that there's you know there's some people that are just like um, they're they, they're happy to have um, the U.S. escalating things, although they probably uh, wouldn't want to see it go all the way to having, you know, having bombs dropped on their house. Um, but just, you know, the, the, the threats and the pressure and all that sort of thing. Um, but for the most part, there was, uh, you know, there was, from that one screening, there was a lot of support. People were saying this is a great movie and more than a lot of people should see this. And just from looking at statistics on YouTube, there's like, um, you know, it's, there's just um, tens of thousands of people that, that have seen it, you know, within Iran. So. 
Well, that's actually excellent. Now, the reason I brought this gentleman up was he was just desperate to talk to an American and, and try to expose apparently a lot of the misconceptions about his country uh, mm-hmm. you know, that, that people were feeling. And I, I've, he was the only Iranian person I've ever spoken to. Here in Michigan, we do have a fairly, at least where I live, a fairly large Iraqi population, mm-hmm. um, which when I was running for Congress kind of gave me an interesting perspective on you know, the war in Iraq, because I could actually talk to actual Iraqi, you know, former Iraqi citizens about it and, um, you know, get some real public opinion. And uh, it's interesting, though, because, you know, it just, it was kind of touched me that this person was reaching out to me. He had no idea who I was, heard a couple of my radio shows and decided he wanted me to, you know, do some exposure on it. Unfortunately, I never heard from him again. Uh, mm-hmm. I only, you know, only got in contact with him a couple of times, but I was hoping to at some point get him on a radio show. But, um, in, you know, in any case, uh, um, it's funny. I guess I imagine I'm probably on the terrorist watch list now for <laughs> conversing <laughs> somebody from Iran or Iran, Iran, and uh, on my Skype. But uh, you know, oh, um, uh, did you have a comment? I was just saying. Well, if you're on the watch list, then I'm probably on the watch list too. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're obviously a terrorist sympathizer, since you're telling us that maybe we don't need to be invading, you know, other countries and making these people who already don't like us even more angry. Um, mm. But uh, another question, I, I guess, that I, that I would ask um, is clarity on the, uh, the issue, because this, this quote from Ahmadinejad um, that is so often re-quoted and then it's kind of corrected in your film, um, do you think you could comment on the, you know, wipe Israel off the map, map comment that, um, at least in your film, you, you state that this is definitely not an accurate translation? Right. Yeah, the um, it's a misquote. It's uh, it, the, the actual quote was uh, Ahmadinejad was quoting a speech by Khomeini um, from the past, where he said that the regime that occupies Jerusalem uh, should be wiped. I'm sorry, will be wiped. Not wiped. Heard it so many times, I'm confusing myself. We erased from the pages of, of time. So, um, you know, the difference between that quote and Israel being wiped off the map uh, is, first of all, the regime that if I were to say the regime that occupies Washington should be wiped off the map, or if I or should be erased from the pages of time, it's a very poetic way of saying, you know, we should kick out the people who are who are in Washington destroying, you know, the planet. Um, and it doesn't, it's not a military threat. It's not talking about the people. Uh, it's not, ta- there's no map. Uh, the pages of time is just saying it should be, you know, history should look back and, and there will be no regime occupying that, you know, occupying that city. Um, and then the Ahmadinejad was asked to clarify. He was flooded with interviews afterwards. And, um, you know, he was, he, uh, you know, Ahmadinejad is an intentionally provocative person, and it benefits it benefits him to have this escalation, uh, just as much as it benefits our uh, leaders in Washington, um, because everybody has a tighter hold on power when you have an enemy that your population has to be afraid of. Uh, so, you know, he he his responses are are often evasive. But, but one response he made that was clear was he said, well, are you suggesting that, that you know, Israel be, you know, the people of Israel should be destroyed? And he said, you know, my suggestion is that 
there be a referendum for the people of the region to decide what happens. So that doesn't sound like a military threat. And then we also point out in the movie that that Ahmadinejad is the president of Iran, and, and the president of Iran is very different than the president of the United States. The president actually holds no power. They don't they don't have any authority over military policy, over the nuclear policy. Their job is to uphold the constitution. The person that holds that power in the country is the supreme leader. Um, they have a theocracy. The supreme leader is a is a is Khomeini. Sounds a lot like Khomeini, but a different person. And uh, he was asked to comment, and his comment was, we, have, we will never threaten war with another country. We have no intention to attack another country. They made it pretty clear that they're not threatening Israel. Right. Uh, but not to say that they're not, uh, they're, they're not trying to antagonize. They're not trying to, um, you know, not trying to inflame, not trying to rally uh, uh, Muslims in, in, um, in the area to, to, you know, they want to be seen as the leader of the Muslim world um, because they're trying to achieve influence in the region. Uh, to form sort of an independent alliance outside of the U.S. influence over the region. Uh, so they are, you know, they are uh, anti-Israel. They are, uh, they, you know, they are, uh, you know, pro-Palestinian. And, um, but there's never been a, you know, th- th- that, that statement was not a military threat. It was, it was, it was what I just said it was. You know, to put that into perspective, I, you know, I, what was occurring to me when you said that, you know, I, I could see myself making a statement of, you know, I'd, I'd love to see the, the, the Bush administration and its entire, you know, <laughs> regime, you know, wiped out of American history. That doesn't right. mean that I advocate airstrikes or something. Against exactly. Which is really hypocritical. Ago. It's hypocritical because uh, both Israel and the U.S. have made specific, explicit threats to attack. Iran, which are in violation of, of international and U.S. law. Um, U.S. law says that if you make a if you make a deal with uh, uh, if you make a treaty, that's the that's the law of the land. We signed the United Nations Charter. The Charter says that you cannot attack or make a threat of attack on another country unless they are attacking you. So. Um, I mean, so the, the hypocrisy is of, of saying that Iran is threatening to attack somebody else as, again, you know, Orwellian doublespeak. You know, um, it's, it's funny, you know, is that, you know, we, we have that problem a lot, actually. You know, we're allowed to, to get away with, um, you know, being aggressive towards other countries. And then, you know, of course, when other countries decide to do it, then, you know, there's, there's a problem with that. And that's... It, is, it does keep reminding me of the, of the image you use so frequently in your film about the, the bigger kid pushing the little kid down and forcing him to agree to certain policies. And, you know, and then, then the United States wonders why a lot of countries in the world resent us. You know, um, it, it was perfectly okay for us to decide to invade Iraq you know, and invade Afghanistan, but it wasn't okay for Saddam Hussein to try to further his own uh, territory. And of course, we you know we always find ways to justify it, but those are usually laughable at best. Like you know the I, I just talked about this actually in uh, I think yesterday's show was um, it was about Afghanistan, but we were talking about um, more specifically the uh, uh, 
the fact that, you know, that, you know, as you pointed out, it is total hypocrisy. You know, it's, um, as long as, you know, it's, it's one of the in crowd, so to speak, it's like high school politics on a, on a world scale. <laughs> you know, as long as you're part of the in crowd, it's perfectly acceptable for you to bully, you know, the little kids, but, but you're not allowed to go the other way around or that's, that's terrorism. You know, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, <laughs> it's almost every word you try to describe the situation. It's, it's, it's just another example to highlight the hypocrisy, to call terrorism, you know, to call what they're doing terrorism. And every government who's playing this power game is, is, is you know, threatening and terrorizing civilians in order to coerce a uh, government and a population of people. They're all committing terrorism. Um, it really comes down to power. You know, everybody is, uh, you know, the difference between Iran and the U.S. is... Um, Iran's actually not quite as as religiously fanatic as the U.S., um, despite popular conception, uh, and they're just less powerful. You know, the U.S. has the power to do what it wants, so it does what it wants, and what it wants to do is to control the Middle East, because you can control, you know, the, the like 75% of the world's oil supply is in the Middle East. So, you know, our policies seem to be about controlling the Middle East, forming alliances with people that are willing to, to uh, you know, to play ball. And then people who don't play ball, then, you know, we we grab our bat and, and go after them. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty hypocritical. And, um, yeah, like, like you said, you really have to, whenever you, whenever you're given an excuse, it's like, well, they committed this act of terrorism or there's, there, there's a humanitarian issue within their country or, um, or, you know, Saddam Hussein gassed the Kurds back in like the eighties. So, right. so now we're going to need to go do something about that. Right. Yeah. And, and that was one of the things I wanted to, to show in the movie was all you have to do is whenever you hear something, then decide, well, what happened right before that? And what was our involvement? Because it tends to be that you know, the other image I tried to use in the movie a lot was Frankenstein, that um, we're creating these monsters so that we can have a justification for, uh, for attacking. You know, wherever there's, wherever there's conflict, wherever there's war, we can justify sending in troops, and then we get control. It's an it's a amazing coincidence, but it gets, um, it gets the elites what they want, which is control over the world economy. That's, you know, and that's actually an interesting point that I, I wanted to address with you is because, like, I've seen a lot of films that, uh, that basically theorized about various motivations about why we, why we might want to invade these countries. And they pointed out that uh, Saddam Hussein had kind of come to the point where he realized, well, I'll never be able to stop these bombings and sanctions, but one thing I can do to, you know, make life difficult for the U.S. is I can uh, um, start trading uh, my oil in the euro rather than in the dollar, and that, uh, of course, then all of a sudden we need to invade. And shortly thereafterwards, uh, Iran was talking about doing the same thing, and now we're building up on that border and trying to justify there. I mean, do you think that could have anything to do with it? Or, or, I mean, obviously, it would only be one cog in the machine. You can't get a country like, oh, you know, the United States to go to war over just little things. Are you, have you heard anything about that theory? Yeah, I mean, the, the, I do mention something in, in terms of, of currencies and, uh, you know, trading. If, 
if oil wasn't being held in, in the dollar and they start trading on other currencies, what, you know, what happens to the reserves in, you know, Japan. And there's, there's definitely a lot of uh, details that you can look at. I think the important thing to look at is the big picture. You know, when, whenever somebody makes a move or threatens to make a move in this game, you, uh, if you can understand what's the larger strategic context, what are the, what are the planners in Washington and in Tehran thinking uh, when they think in terms of how does this fit into our overall strategy? Uh, because politics is based on lies. Uh, you you can't tell the truth, so you you just make up. You say what you need to say, um, and you find evidence to support it. Um, and you pick different issues to highlight that are going to rally your your uh, supporters and gain more supporters that are going to uh, you know that will maybe try to get your enemies to escalate further, so that you can justify the continued. Um, tension. Um, you know, there's, there's there's lots of potential details. It's really hard to follow. I mean, if if you're on uh, if you're on email lists and you're getting news articles about Iran, or if you're doing the hard work of looking through all the different periodicals and trying to find out what's going on, it's hard to keep track of of it all. And, and if you're trying to read into every little thing and trying to figure out, you know, how do I make sense of this? What does this mean? And it's it's really just a matter of looking at you know, how does this fit into the overall strategy and what are the strategic goals? And if you understand uh, what's in the movie is that the strategic goals of Iran are to, to gain influence over the region, uh, to become a regional power, and the, the goals of the U.S. and its allies are to control uh, the Middle East as a whole. And so that creates that conflict. Um, so anything that you see, uh, you know, that that perpetuates that conflict um, is strategic um, and it's going to happen on a diplomatic front, on a military front, on economic fronts, um, in terms of PR events, in terms of media. It's just going to, it's going to be happening everywhere. And until you see people, um, you know, until you see a, a strategic shift, like the U.S. says, you know, we've decided it's no longer in our interest to have troops in the Middle East, um, you know, maintaining control, you know, or uh, Iran says that we're, uh, you know, we are, uh, you know, forming these alliances and we are, I mean, Iran's kind of in the defensive position, so you would, you wouldn't see a lot changing once they, you know, they, once they, uh, you know, the U.S. backs off, uh, Israel stops threatening them, um, and then somebody starts you know, moving forward on the process of a, uh, you know, a denuclearization of, of the entire Middle East, which essentially means, um, you know, getting nuclear weapons out of Israel uh, to stabilize the region. Mm -hmm. um, you, you're not going to really see a big, a big change in things. But I just look, at, I just try to see the big picture. Um, these, these little maneuvers and um, threats and things like that, it's, it's hard to keep up with all of them. Um, the, the, in terms of the money, I, I really haven't been keeping track of that one. Right. Well, that's that's fine, actually. Um, now, uh, I, I have to say, you know, this has been an awesome conversation. I'm glad that you know we we agreed to go longer than a half hour because there's still plenty of things I wanted to cover. Um, yeah, you were right. 
Uh, one of which is um, the, the, you know, I ask every filmmaker this uh, when I bring them on the show, and that is basically, uh, is there anything, you know, since you've, you've finished your film that, you know, that maybe new developments or anything that really sticks out for you anyway, that you're, that you're like, man, I wish I had known that when I made the film, or, you know, or anything that might have tempted you perhaps to make an addendum to the film to, to further your argument um, you know anything you know, along that line that you know that sticks out in your mind? Well, uh, I mean, a lot has happened since I released the film. The film was made in toward the end end of the the Bush years, um, and uh, you know Obama was uh, was a candidate during you know, during the making of the film. wasn't actually elected. Nobody nobody thought that uh, he was going to be the one that was going to win at that time. Um, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but I, I had no idea whether he was going to win or not. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that, that I think is, has been the biggest issue, uh, you know, since releasing the film has been the, the hope, the hope campaign, put our hope in Obama. And, uh, and I think, I don't know how much there is for me to say about it. It's, it's pretty clear he's continuing uh, Bush's foreign policy strategy, um, escalating things, if, if anything. Um, and you know, the, I, I think that Bush had had sort of started to tone things down because he had reached the limits of his capabilities, um, and because public opinion was going so far against him. Uh, so you know, Obama was just continuing at that level. Uh, I, I would love to have been able to add something to the effect of let's let's look at what happens when we elect somebody and then don't have a social movement pushing them to continue making policy that, that we want. Uh, if we just elect somebody uh, that was really, you know, the choices were made for us, you know, we, we, we didn't have that many choices in terms of who was, who was uh, going to be a candidate. Um, you had to have enough money to run the campaign. You had to have, you know, the right endorsements. You, you essentially, you know, to be a serious candidate, you had to be pre-selected. Um, and once elected, you, if there's no social movement pushing you to do things, uh, then there's going to be plenty of, of money that's going to be pushing you to do things and plenty, plenty of institutionalized power and um, uh, you know, bureaucracy and a, a system that's in place to, to continue things the way they're at um, based on you know, U.S. imperialism and, and world dominance to the extent that it's possible. So I would love to have included, you know, some discussion around what we should be doing in the Obama era. I would also love to have, uh, you know, talked about the uh, the elections in Iran. We we did put, a, you know, some of the the people who contributed to the film. We put some talking points in about the the contested elections, and um, you know, put in our two cents on that on the website iranisnottheproblem.org. And then I guess the only other thing is that um, that uh, you know I put in a, a link for people to submit errors and omissions, uh, and the the only one that's really significant, the, the only omission that was significant, or actually an error, was that I had in the film said that Ahmadina Jad was the first non-cleric to take that position of president, but actually there was the you know. During the, the time of the revolution, there was a non-cleric, Bonnie Sauter, who was elected and then crushed uh, from, you know, uh, 
during uh, Khomeini's consolidation of power. So, you know, you know, like to correct it, it's it's somewhat small. It doesn't it doesn't change the overall right. meaning of it. But uh, yeah, so so any anything else that other people uh, would like to add that if after they watch the movie, if there's something missing or something that is is incorrect, there's there's an unmoderated form for, for people to submit those things. Yeah, unmoderated always terrifies me. But that's, <laughs> I've been a moderator in the Zeitgeist forums, and it can be a very harrowing experience. But yeah. <laughs> it just it takes too much effort, so it doesn't surprise me. You don't have somebody moderating it. It's like a full-time job. But right. um, in any case, though, you know, especially when you're talking about something so socially, like, socially charged as the issue of Iran, um, you know, and it, actually we were talking about, you know, the different things that presidential candidates have to do um, to get elected. I remember very specifically uh, watching a, uh, a speech that Obama was giving to um, uh, a group of, it was a Jewish group, I'm trying to remember, but basically hey, it, it might have been them. Uh, yeah, and he was just gave this really rousing speech about how he was going to protect Israel and you know, pretty much every candidate who wants to be taken seriously has to step up and do that. And and I have friends in Israel. I don't, you know, I don't. I'm not taking sides. I think that generally, if you want to find the the bad guy in a war, you should find whatever you know jerk is making money. That that's really the best way to find out who the bad guy is. And that's um, in the Zeitgeist movement. We actually have chapters, you know, in Israel and in Arabic countries. So it's. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in any case, though, I mean, it's, it was definitely very clear to me that, you know, because there is a lot of money in that lobby, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's just to be fair. So, you know, it's true. It's, it's not a racial issue for me. It's any group of rich people, regardless of what race they are, can have a lot of sway over politics. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's it's definitely a, a policy that you're, you're going to have to have if you want to get, you know, past a certain amount, you know, as far as presidency is concerned. And then, all of the ones who advocate not being involved with Israel, well, they get marginalized really fast. Um, you know, the candidates, you know, like, uh, uh, it was actually Mike Gravel, just another example, um, he, he wasn't anti-Israel, but he said that Israel didn't need our help. You know, Israel has nuclear weapons, and they've got a great military. They, we don't really need to be intervening on their behalf. You know, he's like, if for some reason somebody struck them with nuclear weapons, and we respond the way that the rest of the community really should be responding, but overall it's not like we really need to be there holding their hand. We've, we've given them enough to the point where they're very formidable. Um, some of their fighter pilots are actually considered the best in the world, um, and yeah. you know, it's, it's not like we need to be you know, over there. Uh, and, it's, and I would also point out, you know, it's, I remember you know, some time ago uh, when Israel bombed you know, uh, a place over in, um, you know, on the other side uh, a lot of my friends and activists were showing me the links to it, and they were really outraged. And, you know, I guess mostly because now I have this attitude that, that money is generally the root of war, I just kind of said to them, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not insensitive to this, and I don't condone it, but this really doesn't look any different to me than what it looks like when a member of Hamas, you know, runs into a Jewish coffee shop and blows everybody up. You know, it's yeah. it's just people tend to forget that it's this is just a never-ending escalating problem that's never going to go away until the people involved just don't want to do it anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm Irish, and, you know, the, the problems in Ireland, you know, ironically, are actually very similar. You know, it's, it was in Northern Ireland, the land was given to those who were loyal to the, the British, the Scottish and the British. That's why there's Orange Irish and Green Irish. That went on forever. You know, it finally took, you know, the, the concessions to say, uh, well, you're going to treat the Green Irish like human beings, or this is going to keep going 
eventually they agree to do that, and oh, lo and behold, you have peace. Imagine that. You know, it's, and I just think that uh, if we were able to find a way to do that, you know, then we'd be able to, you know, then we would be able to have the same result. And I do recognize, however, that one of the problems here is that it's it's just it's an ancient feud, and in many cases, it's it's actually much smaller scale. You know, for you, it's not necessarily about I, you know, about uh, Palestine. It's not about this or about that. It's about somebody killed my brother. It's about somebody killed my sister. It's about somebody killed my child. They they don't even necessarily even think about the political implications of everything. You know, it's like I remember I watched a film called Meeting Resistance. Uh, and it was actually a couple of British journalists, you know, risked their lives to talk to uh, uh, the various insurgents in Iraq. And one of the things they found was that very few of the Iraqi insurgents actually had anything to do with the Ba'ath Party. And more to the point, if you were related to the Ba'ath Party, that's a great way to get yourself killed by insurgents, because they didn't like Saddam's regime either. But most of them told stories about, well, uh, I was... You know, former Iraqi special forces, and they killed my brother. I had retired. I didn't want anything to do with war. They, they killed my brother, and um, he hadn't done anything wrong, and that's why I'm an insurgent. You know, it's very, it's, it's not stories like, oh, you, you got rid of Saddam, and I'm so upset about that. <laughs> it's yeah. actually, you know, you're in my country, and you're causing problems for me, and um, you blew up everything, and, you know, I still don't have water or electricity for my family. And right. yet you're building yourself these chateaus and, you know, these fancy embassies for yourself. You know, that would cause resentment to anybody. And I don't think, you know, that's something that, I, you know, is going to get any better in Iran. It's, uh, if we went over there now, you know, uh, I think, honestly, we're looking at, you know, we're basically playing into that global jihad that the, the Muslim fundamentalists want. Right. The more countries we invade, the more people make angry. Right. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I, I, I mean, there, you definitely made a lot of points on there. I can't even remember <laughs> But uh, I wasn't sure how much time we had to, to discuss them all. Go ahead and elaborate. We're doing on time? Well, um, I think, uh, yeah, when you said you know, the root of war comes down to money, I, I don't know if it's just money. I mean, I think that uh, it's you know, money, power, and, and privilege are all kind of tied together. Um, sometimes it's more about power. Sometimes it's more about money. Um, but those two things don't, you know, they're not separated. Different, different people are, are, are uh, you know, oiling the gears of the system for their own, their own purposes. Right. And, um, yeah, you, that you need money to, to run the war, and the people that have the money are the, are the ones who are, you know, they're not, they're not always pushing for work. There's, there's, there's some that are pushing for, uh, you know, let's, let's get control by another way. Let's, you know, there's a lot of people, let's, let's just keep sanctions going. Let's keep the threat of war going. Um, you know, you don't need to have a war in order to get control and control is the, is the ultimate objective. Um, you know, we have control over, uh, you know, the oil supply in Saudi Arabia. Uh, we had control over Iran when, you know, we were able to install the Shah. Um, we then, when we lost, you know, we had control over the same. It's just when you lose control, that's when you go to war, and then, uh, you know, the different factions within the elites fight over uh, fight over what some people say it's a war, you know, Americans 
uh, is military. Nobody can compete with us militarily, so that's what we should do to win this you know, competition for control. Uh, some people say, well, you know, it's it's also our weakness that it's, um, you know, that we need to uh, we need to get controlled by other means. Let's continue with the sanctions. Let's uh, you know, let's foment unrest within the country by you know. Uh, funding opposition groups and training them with our intelligence operatives and, you know, there's just a million different ways. Uh, you know, in, in other countries, it's just through predatory lending and having uh, really bad, you know, loan conditions that when you, they can't pay, then they have to start doing what we want and eventually you get leaders in there that uh, totally beholden to the policies we want. Um, yeah, we so talked about that in Zeitgeist the Denim quite a bit, actually. So did you? Same wavelength there, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just there's, there's a lot of unknowns, but it, it does always come down to, uh, you know, are you happy with the things the way they are? Would you want this being done to you if, you, you know, if the situation was reversed and, um, you know, if, if the U.S. was, you know, developing nuclear power possibly for – for a nuclear weapon, uh, you know, if they were, uh, you know, if they had the same government, would you want Iran to come and bomb us? You know, is that going to solve the problem? Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's it, it, in some ways it's it's complicated when you get into all the details, but um, in and in some ways it's very simple. It's just a matter of policy is being decided by the powerful and in order to have an influence on policy you have to become powerful and um, if you don't have money the way to become powerful is by um, getting together with uh, other people talking about how you'd like to see a different world and uh, organizing with them and and you know getting having then getting together with other groups and keep building and keep organizing um, you know uh, if if this you know if this country was able to um, organize massive strikes and and disrupt uh, you know disrupt production, that faction of the, the the ruling class that is arguing against war, saying that it's going to be too costly and there's other ways we could do it, they would become a lot more powerful uh, if it, and and a lot more active if the, if if we were collectively able to raise the costs on them. Um, by being able really, to uh, demand. Really quickly, let me interrupt you just to tell something to the live sure. audience. The, uh, the live portion of the broadcast is about to end. Um, if you're listening, you'll be able to get the rest of it on the archive, uh, and I'm just going to make sure that we get an opportunity to finish the conversation. So thank you for tuning in to V-Radio. Um, and uh, where can they check out your film? Well, if you, if you Google Iran is not the problem, you'll see dozens of links of, of people who've copied it. I've given people permission to freely copy it and distribute it wherever they want. Uh, you can go to iranisnottheproblem.org, and you could order a DVD there or um, go to the Facebook page, and we have a link where you can watch the movie. Excellent. All right, now please continue with your point. Uh, I think I... I, think I, I I think I made the point you know, <laughs> that it's, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate of democracy. I, I think that the policies that are escalating things with Iran are about uh, taking democracy away from the people. Um, and th that 
that rests on people being uninformed. It rests on people feeling helpless, uh, feeling isolated, uh, and feeling you know desperate for uh, you know the basic you know just just desperate to to get by. You know, I need a job. I have time to think about politics. Right. Um, you know, I, I need to take care of my family. Uh, I, I need mm-hmm. I need to be able to relate to other people. So I, you know, I want to watch what other people are watching. And if people aren't watching politics, or if that's going to create controversy, and stay away from that. And you just have to look at the patterns and what's going on in our our lives, and and start saying, well, if I want to make a difference, um, I have to I have to think about what is it that uh, what is it that I can do to change things? Because you know, if you look throughout history, there has been change. There has been, uh, you know, unjust systems that have changed. You know, there was, uh, you know, uh, a formal apartheid in Africa. There was a slave system, uh, a, a chattel slave system in the U.S. Um, you know, there was. Nothing was, you know, before the French Revolution, there were, uh, you know, there wasn't quite the same democratic, uh, you know, there there wasn't quite the same level of freedoms and, and strives towards democracy that we have. So, you know, there are ways to, to change things, and it's just a matter of, of figuring out, well, how is it that we do that and not giving up? Well, definitely. Um, I have to say, you know, it's... Uh, Thank you for making the film that you made. I think it's probably one of the best ways, you know, that I've ever seen Iran, expo- you know, the Iran situation exposed. Um, I guess a, a final uh, question. I mean, do you ever get any uh, like thank you emails from perhaps people who you know have lived in Iran, uh, Iran and you know want to basically express to you, you know, their their appreciation? I mean, do you ever get anything from from those people about it? Yeah, I get an, I get a, a lot of people who. Um, who thank me, and I get a lot of people who are not as thankful. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, no, I mean, and and when the when the film first was released, I I was going to a lot of screenings and speaking afterwards, and had a lot of uh, you know very rewarding uh, personal messages from people who have family around and from people who um, really care about the issue, and um, you know. A lot of appreciation, um, but you know what? What makes it? Um, you know, for me, my objective in making the film was to help change the debate on Iran. So, for the people who really didn't know a lot about the situation, and then watched the movie, and then who, who felt like, wow, I really learned a lot, and I really feel like I'm a little bit more prepared to go into a conversation with someone who says, you know, let's let's bomb that dude. Mm-hmm. You know the, the people who now feel like they are prepared to help change the debate, um, and who who forward it to other people. Those are the people who, who um, that, that really make it gratifying for me that all the work that we put into making the film uh, was worth it. Um, and not to not to discount the the people who um, you know the people who were personally affected by it and, and uh, appreciate it. Um, but the, the film is, is, is a, intended to be a tool for social change. So um, when, when people start using it for social change, that's very gratifying for me. 
Well, that's definitely uh, you know what I hope to achieve um, with with films like yours, um, and and also obviously with my radio show. So um, my heart goes out to you, and you keep doing what you're doing. I mean, any other projects like this, you know, on the horizon? Have you thought about tackling any other issues? Uh, thank you. Thanks again for also for putting us on the show. This is uh, you know it's really what it's all about, and I really appreciate you know I, I took a quick look at some of the other. Uh, documentaries that you're putting out there. So I really uh, want to thank you back for all the work you're doing to promote uh, films that are helping to uh, contribute to social change. Um, They're the reason yeah, I'm here. <laughs> I'm, I'm a total documentary junkie. <laughs> Go on. Um, yeah, and in terms of uh, future projects, um, I'm not. Sh I, I haven't planned on making another film in the near future because I have other. Um, other projects that I'm interested in doing that are around um, experimenting with other, um, you know, with other alternative models for um, social change. Um, but I probably will, um, you know, at some point in the near future, make another film. And um, I, I just can't say what it's going to be. There's so many things that, that I could I could do if I if I make one during um, the Obama administration. Um, it, you know, it I may make one about social change per se because I think it's one thing to get a lot of information, um, but it doesn't do you a lot of good to, to have this information and to feel like okay, I'm being lied to. And um, so now what? <laughs> yeah. So now what? So. Right. So now I can complain about it, or so now I can, um, you know, I can criticize others that that drink the Kool-Aid. But you know, and what is it that, you know, what is it that's going to give me hope that it, that we can do something to make a, a better world? And I think that's a that's a complicated thing because um, because the people that have power have a tight grip on power, and and they're it's it's it seems insurmountable. So. You know, I've, I've been doing a lot of research on social change, and um, I think that it's, it's likely that that would be the next topic. Whatever, if it's not a film, um, some other form of, of getting the information out there. Well, you know, um, when you say social change, I, I actually I hope that uh, at some point um, soon, even I'd like to get your opinion uh, at some point on Zeitgeist Addendum and the Venus Project, because uh, pretty much all we do is we're talking about social change and and have, how that's really the root of solving a lot of other problems is we, we can we can kind of patchwork things here and there, but but until we've changed the value system of mankind to to get to the point where the issue of war is not even discussed as an option, to get to the issue where you know why don't we treat poverty rather than you know investing in more police? Why don't we uh, you know find other ways to to deal with the oppression that causes people to lash out violently rather than you know, uh, relying on sticking people in prison cells with other violent people, and supposedly they're going to get better somehow. You know, um, that you're never going to really. I mean, it's not to say. You know, I'm not an anarchist. I don't think we can just turn all those systems off. But I do think that. You know, we've we've always had crime and war throughout the centuries, and and if we haven't found a solution to that, then it's going to have to come from thinking that it's outside the norm. Uh, Albert Einstein actually said something very similar to that. It's quoted in another movie with Jacques Fresco in it called The Future by Design. So we're not going to be able to solve today's problems with the same thinking that, you know, has essentially created them. So um, I want to thank you again for, for being on the show, Aaron, and um, 
uh, and also, you know, for making that film. And, and uh, you know, if you know of anybody else, for example, who has a project like yours, uh, you know, who would like to be featured on V Radio, uh, please let me know. And um, if you'd ever be interested, for example, I'm uh, one of the editors for the Zeitgeist newsletter and it has about 470,000 worldwide subscribers. Um, if you'd like to contribute an article, perhaps, talking about the situation in Iran, um, you know, we'd, we'd definitely be happy to have you. I appreciate all the offers, and uh, appreciate that you're working on making the world a better place. You too. Um, thanks again. Um, and uh, go ahead and uh, give that URL one more time. Uh, the, <clears throat> sorry, the website is www.iranisnottheproblem.org, all one word. All right. Um, well, thanks again, Aaron, and um, thanks you all for, li you know, for listening to V Radio. Um, please visit vradio.org, v-radio.org, hyphen like a minus. Um, there you can find archives of shows like this one um, and various links to DVD. You know, not, well, not the DVDs, but the you know uh, various places you can watch these uh, documentaries on the internet. Um, some of them, anyway. But um, while you're doing that, folks, uh, remember that a lot of these people work really hard in their projects, and um, if you want to see them put out more, you're going to have to bite down and buy a DVD. Um, so something to consider. I know, for example, I'm expanding my DVD collection, you know, of the various documentaries because, you know, it's like some of the times these people really put their lives on the line. I mean, uh, I, the, the people who made... Um, uh, Heavy Metal in Baghdad, a documentary about a heavy metal band in Iraq. They literally had to hire security forces and all sorts of stuff just to go talk to these kids who were doing rock and roll in Iraq. Um, you know, they, a lot of the work that goes into this stuff, if you want to see more of it, it's going to come down to you contributing to it. So um, it is important to get the information out there, but it's also important to give support to the people who are doing this work. So in any case, uh, thanks again, Aaron. And um, uh, did you have any parting words? Uh, no, just thank you again. All right. Well, um, thanks again, guys, for tuning in. I'm going to leave you with some words from Jock Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jock Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.